0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone! And maybe you want to just take a moment, and uh, you don't have to stand up. but maybe just you know look to your left and right, whatever. And just say Happy Thanksgiving around you. Just go ahead, your neighbors. Happy Thanksgiving. Fist pump, handshake, warm smile. Happy thanks Happy, Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Amen. Good, I love all the muffle, the muffle in the crowd, it's so good. Of love, love. Well, welcome to Reformation 500. We are in a month long series, Lord willing, dedicated to remembering the significance, the impact, and the theology. And really, this is true the significance, impact, and theology that burst forth within the Protestant Reformation. And the reason we do that now is because 500 years ago this month, this all kind of officially took place as Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door uh, there in the city of Wittenberg. And so 500 years ago, you have to know this, that a flag was put into the ground, like a very massive uh, spiritual flag was placed into the ground based on truths that have always been there on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit used to bring a revolution of spiritual renewal and revival. And really, it was a revolution of spiritual revival that occurred all throughout Europe and still impacts us today as we will hear. Now, why is the Reformation such a big deal? Well, the truths that were rediscovered then and so powerfully used are the same truths that will be used today to continue to transform lives from death to life, from darkness to light. So I believe it is both right to remember the reformation and then to also reinforce the reformation. We should take delight in honoring history and then praying that it would also become our future. What I love about in this room right now there's some of us here that we if we're honest we know very little if anything about the reformation. Uh, some of us might be in a place where this is going to be a beautiful, a beautiful reminder of what took place in the Reformation. Regardless of you're hearing it for the first time, or you're being reminded of, all of us walk forward together in the most important message in the history of the world. Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that really, in its purest form, is what took place within the Reformation. Now today we're going to have a bit of a different message, right? We're doing a bit of an intro to this uh, time period of history, and we're going to have a bit of a history lesson in some sense, but also, uh, Lord willing, wrapped in the Word of God. But let's start here with this question. What was the Reformation truly about? I think it can be kind of summarized and described in 2 Timothy 1, verse 14, and I'll read it for you. This is where Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy. So think about that. Guard what? Guard the good, the good what? The good deposit. What's the deposit? Uh, The gospel. Timothy, guard the gospel entrusted to you. Guard it because there's nothing more important, nothing more valuable, nothing more priceless than the message of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit says that to us today. We are the next generation passing on to the generation uh, uh, below us and saying, we must guard the good deposit also. Now know this, the Reformation in its purest form, okay, were men and women giving their lives for Jesus Christ and the preservation and declaration of the gospel. The message so precious that people were living entirely for this and willing to die for this message as well. Again a message so precious and essential for true eternal life that they in many cases without question literally died for it. Why? Because this. If we lose the truth, then we lose everything. I'm convinced our day the greatest battle we are facing in this nation, it's a battle for truth. And if we lose the truth, if we lose the gospel, if things are watered down, there's no power. There's nothing left to do, really, because we've just closed the very message that brings people from the power of Satan to the light and power and love of God. So as the reformers looked upon the European church, what they were witnessing was an institution that had wandered from the heart of the gospel. And this didn't take place in a day. It took place over decades and hundreds of years. And it kind of slowly corroded, and the corruption grew and grew and grew and grew to the point of the 1500s with people like Martin Luther, but before him too, John Wycliffe and Jan Haas, whoever it might be, they were fighting for what they knew was wrong, and they were fighting for what they knew was true and right, that the message of the gospel, the free gift of salvation by grace alone and faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by works, And not the Bible was only for members of the one church or clergy and that not even in the common language of the people. There was so much corruption as we're going to hear as we go through this series um, as well. And the reason this is so, so critical, because if you wander from the gospel, then you wander from the Christian faith. So again, what happened was you had men and women who saw the light of the gospel maybe for the first time ever. In many cases, tens upon thousands, millions of people awakened to the gospel, they knew this is life, this is everything, and they literally gave up livelihoods, homes, fortunes, and they gave their own lives, again in many cases, to see the church find the gospel again. Now what the Reformation brought us was described as we heard today in that great video, was what's called the five solas. And let me just go over this again, okay, because some of you maybe have never heard this before, some of you know this very well, but if you're going to know anything, know this, okay? This is what we got to know. Going forward, the rest of our lives, we have to understand the context of history, but more importantly, loved ones, this is the whole gospel here. This is the essentials of the gospel. So you have the Latin word sola, and sola means um, alone or only. So only, and then in English, um, scripture alone, sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone, sola fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Christo, or Sola Christus, and Sola Dea Gloria. So, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, the glory of God alone. Again, this is the most important parts of the entire Christian faith. Okay, so this is going to be the outline for our series over the next uh, five weeks uh, as well. And today we start off with Sola Scriptura. So again, this is what was taking place. These are the most fundamental uh, theological convictions of the reformers uh, from the Reformation. Now, why are these so important? Because each sola is 100% essential to the gospel. When any of these truths are removed, you have just lost something that is integral, again, to the message of the church, and the church will suffer greatly if it can exist at all. So that's why then the Reformation was so massively transformational, okay? Listen, listen, it's so key. In the Reformation, they were rediscovering the gospel. The true gospel had been lost. People were completely in darkness by the corruption of leadership above them, and they did not know that you could be saved by grace through faith. They did not know about the free gift of grace. They did not know that it's I believe in what Christ has done as opposed to me trying to earn my way to heaven. Am I ever going to be released of this condemnation? Will I ever be free of guilt? Can I ever know that I have peace with God? They were under this massive bondage of unbiblical teaching that wasn't the gospel at all. So you have people here recovering the true gospel, which is... The power of God for salvation, Romans 1, verse 16. That is why we must honor the Reformation in the sense we honor the truth that was declared within it. Let me say this right from the outset. This is very important, okay? Was the Reformation perfect? No, that's called heaven, okay? So um, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect church movement. There's no perfect church leaders. There's just no perfect person other than Jesus Christ because we, we're all inherently sinful, right? So the Reformation had its messes. The Reformation had its abuses as every, every movement of God is always accompanied with that which is regrettable. And that's true in the Reformation as well. It had uh, lots about it that wasn't so great, but but that can never diminish How important the impact and light of the Reformation was that is still being felt today. Whether you know it or not, we are recipients as to the massive fruit produced by the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Reformation. Again, again, um, see it from this way. This is so important. It's through the Reformation that ultimately this happens. People discover again how they're saved. They find out how do I get to heaven? How am I saved? That is fundamentally what takes place in the Reformation. They find out I'm not saved by works, I'm not saved by saints, I'm not saved by my own merit. But the, the incredible message, I am saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And you got to know that countless men and women during the 1500s and 1600s were awakened to the beauty of the message of the gospel. And when that happens, man, joy comes with it. In my study preparing for this the last several weeks, i, I got to give a lot of credit to this part here from Michael Haken. He's a wonderful scholar of church history and a great man of God and just such a help on this. So what I'm able to see to you here is from him primarily. But so in the Reformation, what you have is thousands and really millions of people seeing for the first time the joy and the gladness of the gospel, okay? So put yourself in their shoes. You're living again in, in what you don't know, but you're, you're, you're in spiritual bondage. All the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, always wondering, is God going to uh, smoke me today? Am I going to die? If I die today, will I go to purgatory and then I have to go through the kind of refining flames of suffering and what happens there? Can I ever know? There's no certainty. There's no security. I mean, you're living in this all the time. The whole church is all the power. They're asking for your money so you can release loved ones. from All these things are going on. Just, Just imagine the peace you don't have. Just imagine how, in some ways, just how awful it would be to live in that environment of no grace and no peace and, and no true love. But then the gospel enters in. Then the message of Christ starts to be declared. And you hear that, wait, 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 you mean you mean I don't have to do anything? You mean Jesus Christ has done it for me? You mean grace is free? I get what I don't deserve and I don't get what I do deserve? I mean, it's just, just, it's incredible. So then the joy and the gladness and the elation that starts to impact hundreds of thousands, if not millions, across Europe. In some ways, nothing like it before in history. Incredible, incredible renewal and revival. There's a few ways we can mark the movement of the Reformation, uh, specifically in Europe. One of them is right here with a painting called The Candlestick. Uh, I believe you can see this today, currently, in some form at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. But notice here, you have the Reformers gathered around uh, a single light of a candlestick, which is signifying to what happened. The Reformers, and they're, almost all of them, have a Bible open, the, the, the light of God's word shining on the darkness for the first time. But notice down here in the bottom, you have um, a pope, a monk, a cardinal, and Satan himself trying to blow it out. Because this was the actual context for this day. Uh, this group down here, man, they didn't want this light to shine because now the power is going to the people. Now the people could actually have a copy of God's word. Now the people could actually know for themselves what God's word actually says because at the time the Reformation had got so bad that it said only the Pope is able to interpret scripture. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being under such oppression? One guy and then handed it down to cardinals and archbishops and bishops and so on. And all that was there. So then you see this pain, but this is what's happening. All of a sudden, people are awakened and enlightened to all that was taking place. It's an incredible, incredible time. Another way that you can see this described in Geneva, Geneva, before the Reformation, they had a model. Let me make sure I just read it right here. They had a model in Latin that said, post tenebras spero lusum." And that meant, after darkness, I hope for light. So there's not a sense of certainty of light, but just, oh, I hope it gets better. After darkness, I hope for light. But then following the Reformation, to commemorate this, they had coins struck with the phrase that we heard is really the subtitle for the series, is post lux. After darkness, light did come and all of geneva so again it was such an impact of revival and renewal with the light of the gospel freeing people from bondage they struck their coins post lux again after darkness light which is one of the phrases that really describes all that we're seeking to uncover biblically but also historically incredibly exciting incredibly important so many people and even countries were being transformed. One of the examples of this is the Reformation in France. In the year 1520s, it's estimated there were between 3,000 and 4,000 believers in the entire country of France. Just 3,000 to 4,000 believers at a population of 20 million. Think about that. Then they estimate 40 years after, 40 years later after the Reformation take place, they said there were now 2 million genuine believers in France, which on anyone's count, that is incredible revival. If my math is correct, if you take, let's say, 3,500 compared to 2 million believers, that's an increase of believers of 50,007%. There's a work of God through the gospel, which is amazing. Now, also, the Reformation was a Reformation with words. The printing press was a massive factor in the Reformation, and the literacy rate at the time of the Reformation was about 25%. It was increasing. It sounds low to us, of course, but back then, it was really steadily growing. More and more people were reading, and of course, the people that were able to read the most were usually among the elites, right, the educated, so they were the ones getting first access to the first time ever to have their own copy of God's Word. For the first time, the messages of salvation by grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone were, they were handed to all these people who could read. And because most of them were in the upper kind of echelons of society, what you had, the people with influence and control, being transformed by the gospel. and that's why you literally have nations being totally transformed, because those in charge, from government down, this new light was shining. The printing press was such a factor in the Reformation. The Reformation is, is said to be a child of the printing press. The printing press invented in the mid-1400s. So the Reformation is a child of the printing press that Martin Luther so amazed at the use of the printing press. In Revelation 14, it describes an angel that preaches the gospel to the world. Martin Luther was so, again, so uh, taken up by the impact and fruitfulness of the printing press, whether he meant it or not, or it's tongue in cheek, he said this, the angel in Revelation 14, that must be the meaning, That, that angel is the printing press itself. And again, whether he just said it as a joke, whatever, you can see the impact of what was happening at this time, the spreading of truth in a way that was never done before. In its purest form, the Reformation was an absolute explosion of joy and gladness because of the gospel. This is why we guard the good deposit entrusted to us. Why? Because that's what leads to joy. 1 Peter 1, it says here, right? Though you have not seen him Christ, you love Christ. Though you do not now see Christ, you believe in Jesus because you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. The gospel is what allows us to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible because there's no greater message than knowing you are saved from your sins and saved from death and saved from eternal punishment in hell and saved to the rescuing life and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater truth. When you think you're condemned and then you believe in Christ and you are set free by the gospel, this will cause you to leap and joy with a joy that is inexpressible because you know you are heading towards the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a massive part of what was taking place in the purity of the Reformation. So that's a bit of context for us right here, and I think that's so important. We could talk about that for hours and hours, but I wanted to give you a bit of what's happening as we come to this now, and now we start to discover, now what made the Reformation possible? What was it about the Re- What truth were they extracting and then declaring that caused such an incredible work of God, and this takes us then to our first point today. We have two points, uh, not too much, but uh, the first point is this is so important. So now we jump into sola scriptura, and the first point is this: sola scriptura. It is our highest and final authority, our highest and final authority. If your Bibles aren't open already, please open them to Second uh, Timothy chapter three, Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, and we're going to look at primarily verse sixteen, and we'll see some other passages uh, after that as well. But notice this, our highest and final authority. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God. How much of scripture is? Oh, that's, that's important. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So here we have in this verse one of the clearest and best-known statements in Scripture that is regarding the origin and the authority of Scripture. The most powerful part is the first part in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, the word there for breathed out in the Greek is the word theopneustos. It's the only time it occurs here in the New Testament. Now, for many years in the English, theopneustos was translated Inspired. Um, All Scripture has been inspired by God. But the problem with this is that sometimes the meaning of English words change over time. happens to millions of the words that we use in English, right? Notice this. The Greek word never changes. The original Greek it's always theopneustos. That never changes. But our understanding of that word in terms of how we define it in English can change. So inspired over time uh, proved to be insufficient because 50 years ago it meant one thing. But then as you come along to our day, inspired kind of means I'm um, an in-breathing or God breathing into, which doesn't fully convey what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here. The best translation currently of the English from the Greek is God breathed or breathed out by God, because this is what God has done. So let me say it this way. God didn't just breathe into the scriptures, nor did he breathe into the authors. Rather, the text says God breathed out the scriptures. As Erwin Lutzer says, the Bible then metaphorically speaking is the very breath of God. Again, God didn't just approve the scriptures. God breathed out. God is the full source of all Scripture. Now, why is this so important? Well, in terms of the Reformation, this was absolutely critical. Because, listen, this, if God wrote a book, and he did, if God breathed out his word, then whatever God writes, God gets the final word. If God says it, no one can say it better. There's no higher authority than God. If God wrote a book, that is the final word, and no man can ever contradict it, or no man can ever rise above it. Hence, you have the doctrine of sola scriptura as the foundation of what was taking place in the Reformation. God gave, gave us his word. He gave the word, his word to the church to guide, instruct, to be the authority of the church. I think every believer here right now, alive in Jesus Christ, would believe God is perfect, that God is perfect in wisdom that God is perfect in knowledge and therefore if we believe that if God writes a book he doesn't make a mistake if he writes a book it's a book without error it's it's just the natural theological logical conclusion and if God writes a book he gets the final word and therefore we trust him he writes we submit that's it If God writes a book, there is no greater word that can come to us. I mean, think about it. If man comes along, and if God wrote a book, and man comes along and corrects God, at that moment, that man or woman, whoever they are, they are now playing the role of God. What you meant to say God was... They're questioning God. They're saying God isn't perfect in what he, written, uh, that he wrote down, that God wasn't sufficient in the word that he gave us. And you start trying to manipulate the holy book of God, you become God. That's scary. This is what was happening in the time of the Reformation. Think of it this way, why this is so essential. This is our highest and final authority. Let me ask you this question. If the Bible isn't our highest and final authority, then what is? The church? church leaders. Because again, something has to be our highest and final authority. We have to have something objectively guiding us through this life with all the false teaching, with all the opposition, with all the pressure. If this isn't our highest and final authority, what is culture? Is culture then the highest and final authority? Culture tries to be. Right now, this is the battle that we face. Culture coming in with immense pressure. Pressure on what? On the book. Pressure on the church to turn away from the book. That's happening all around us right now. It comes down to a matter of what is our true authority. Who gets the final word? Is it God or is it someone else? Again, again, when the word of God is not our final and highest authority, then someone else has taken the role and starts to play God. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why there's such huge ramifications for us today. And again, This is what was taking place at the time of the Reformation, right? So what you had is you had the Roman Catholic Church has made its traditions and papal authority to be either equal to God's word or even superior to the Bible, right? So when you have traditions of man that are equal or superior to the authority of God's word, this paves the way then for um, unbiblical teachings. Like in the context of the Reformation, teachings like praying to saints, It's not in the Bible. Uh, Praying to Mary, not in the Bible. The worship of Mary in some cases, not in the Bible. Uh, The Immaculate Conception, not in the Bible. Indulgences, not in the Bible. Uh, Papal authority, not in the Bible. Here's an excerpt from the Catholic Catechism right here based on on this truth we're learning right now. It says this. It says the church, which is, by the way, when it came to the time of the Reformation... And the Roman Catholic Church, they were the only true church. There's no other form of the church that was sincere or right. It was them or nothing. So the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of Revelation is entrusted, so they are the only ones, they believe that God gave the opportunity, both the transmission and interpretation, listen, does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone, okay? Now right there, we have to say that is very problematic, for those of us who believe in Sola Scriptura, this is, the, this is a big, where is this going? Both Scripture, so it's not they don't honor Scripture, but notice, both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. See what's happening there? That's not good, okay? And by the way, right now, I'm not trying to throw unnecessary attacks or arrows at, at in this case, the Roman Catholic Church or whatever it might be. But I'm trying to tell you what is true in the context of what the Reformation discovered and what was happening there as well. It was a very, very big deal. It was a very, very important time. So think about what this is saying then, right? If you say that Scripture and the traditions of the church are in the same equal plane and they both discern the same attention and reverence, then what you are saying there is not only did God breathe out the Scriptures, but God also must have breathed out traditions and papal authority. You see that? Because if God breathed out the scriptures as our highest and final authority, and you're saying traditions are at the same level, then they have to be the equivalent of what God said they are. So you have the words of man at the same level as the words of God. And of course, how could that possibly be? Because otherwise, traditions would never equal Scripture unless you claim that they are of the same level of being breathed out by Scripture as well. Let's listen to what Jesus said about traditions and God's truth or God's commandments from Mark 7. And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Here's why. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They are teaching the traditions or man-made teachings as the equivalent of doctrines being the very word of God. Jesus continues in the next verse. He says this, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. See what happened there? By God's word, let's take our tradition which elevates us and makes us look better and then and then declares the teachings that we that we are benefited from as opposed to God's word. And he said to them, "You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." so relevant to what was happening again within the time of The Reformation, the traditions of men really overcoming and taking in place of the scriptures and the common person didn't even know, but when the common person started to discover it through guys like Martin Luther and others, and all of a sudden this firestorm of controversy erupted. The word of God is our highest and final authority for the Christian faith. Let me say this too, okay? Church traditions are not bad in and of themselves. Church traditions are valid as long as they don't contradict Scripture or they're in full agreement with Scripture. Let's think of the creeds, right? A lot of us grew up with creeds. Creeds can be fantastically helpful and beautiful as they align with Scripture. But a creed that contradicts Scripture obviously is of no use because Scripture has highest and final authority. Think of the songs that we sing. You could say that the songs we sing is a form of our tradition, a beautiful songs. Every song that we sing goes through some kind of analysis to make sure it's in line with Scripture. We've read many songs that we look at and say, well, that's a nice melody, but the words are not good because in some ways they're not truly biblical. That gets tossed out. There are traditions, as long as Scripture holds the final word and is measured by Scripture, that the highest and final authority will decide again what is true and what is right. So any tradition or movement that contradicts the Bible can't be of God because of our doctrine of sola scriptura so important and think the only way to be truly objective is to have a measuring rule that God has given because God is perfect and God has given us this so everything gets measured by the book otherwise the church is toast if the church starts to take control of what they think is right Without God's word, without the objectivity of God's word being placed in leadership in our life, that's when the church will be in ruins, okay? Sola Scriptura, massively important. So bring this truth into the mind of someone, let's say, like Martin Luther, okay? He discovers the premise and foundation of Sola Scriptura, and the other souls within it, this starts to spark the flames of the Reformation, okay? Luther saw what was true, he could no longer take the corrupt teachings of the church, and then this led him to nail the 95 theses on the door of the church, which again, he wanted to start a debate as we heard, but he had no idea that people would take this down, put it in the printing press, and boom, it spread like wildfire across Europe. It was quite something. Solo Scripture also led Luther to say during a debate with the church on the screen for you, he said this, he says, I assert that a council has sometimes erred and may sometimes err. Nor has the council authority to establish new articles of faith. Councils have contradicted each other. See what he's saying here? One council would say something, this is truth. Another council in church would say something, but it would contradict the other council. he said, how can this possibly be? You say you both don't err, and you're both speaking truth, but you don't even agree, right? So it's simple logic. It's good theology. Then he said, I love this. He this. A simple layman armed with scripture is to be believed above a pope or council. <gasps> right? For the sake of Scripture, we should reject Pope and Council. And by the way, this did not sit well with the leaders of the church in Luther's day, right? Then Luther, filled with boldness, and you could say madness for Jesus, in a treatise, he wrote this on the screen for you too. He says this, It is pure invention that Popes, Bishops, Priests, and Monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are called the temporal estate. All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them except that of office. The claim that only the Pope may interpret scripture is an outrageous, fancied fable. And with that, the gasoline was poured on the Reformation fire, and with that, the gasoline was poured on the stake on which the church wanted to burn Luther. In fact, this led to what was famously known as the Diet of Worms, and if you want to Do you want to pronounce it, the Diet of Worms, that's up to you, all right? But at the Diet of Worms, Luther was summoned by the Holy Roman Emperor himself, and he was commanded to come that he might recant of his heretical beliefs and statements and writings, and this led to the incredibly famous statement, which has been repeated so many times and already even today, Luther stands before, just imagine, just imagine the pressure, imagine, he thought he was going to die for sure, and he says this on the screen he says unless i'm convinced by scripture and plain reason now notice here notice sola scriptura running right through this statement see the conviction comes from unless i'm convinced by scripture and plain reason my conscience is captive to the word of god i cannot and i will not recant anything for to go against conscience would neither be right nor safe god help me in the very very famous line which many books have been entitled by here i stand here i stand here i stand i can do no other the conviction of sola scriptura leading to the conviction of the gospel in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, to the point he was willing to uh, give his own life because he knew he was standing with God and he could not at this point stand with men. Hey, By the way, on the, um, the last Friday of October, uh, we are going to be showing the movie Luther here in the worship center. It's going to be excellent. A movie that was uh, about 15 years ago. I've seen it once back then. Haven't seen it since. Can't wait. It's going to be great. By that time, we're all going to be so fired up with the Reformation and wanting to know. We'll come together and uh, probably be hard to find a seat. I'm not sure yet if you can eat popcorn in here, right? But we'll see. But we'll see, all right? But we're going to watch Luther together and that'll be very, very exciting. I pray it'll fire us up and just inspire us again for all the right reasons. So, Sola Scriptura and the Reformation. This would turn into, when Luther said this, a forest fire of supernatural proportions. Sola Scriptura, highest and final authority. Again, if scripture is not our authority, then who or what is? This takes us to our second point and our final point. It's this. Sola Scriptura, listen, the authority on authority. Let's listen to the authority on authority. Some of you are like, what do you mean by that? I want us to right now, I want us to bathe in Scripture passages on the inherent authority of God's Word and what God's Word says about God's Word. And again, the inherent, the authority of God's Word on the authority of God's Word. So I have... Twelve scriptures I'm going to put up on the screen here. I could have put up dozens and dozens and dozens. We'll go through one dozen. My hope is you will be wonderfully overwhelmed with how much scripture says about scripture. And by the end, you're like, stop, Robbie. I can't take it anymore. It's too good. Please stop, okay? That's my prayer right now, okay? Psalm 19, okay? here's God's word on God's word. It's this, ready? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Let me ask you, what can revive your soul? Magazine at the gas station? Don't think so, All right. There's one book that can revive your soul. There's one book that can rejoice your heart. There's one book that can make you truly wise. There's one book that can enlighten your eyes. It's the book of God. It's the word of God. It's the law of God. It's the word of life. It's the book we hold in our hands right now. It's the book of books. Next slide. 2 Timothy 3.15. Notice this. There's one book which makes us wise for salvation. This is Paul to Timothy. Timothy, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writing scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation. You know, it's very, very, very unlikely that your favorite TV show can do this for you unless your favorite TV show is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one message that gives people the wisdom to know how to be saved from death and sin and hell. It's the word of God. It's, it's, it's the highest and final authority. Next slide. Matthew 4, Jesus, when his temptation in the wilderness coming against Satan himself, all three times when Satan tries to tempt Jesus, how does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. The last time, be gone, Satan. It is written. It is written. Jesus appeals to the authority of the word of God to resist the enemy, and he appeals to the authority of God's word to know it's true. How can we do anything different? Next slide. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. This is one of the most significant charges in the entire New Testament, okay? This is Paul. He's about to die. He gives his best and last stuff to Timothy. This is what he says to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. okay. So, so Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God, oh, and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge living in the, by the living and the dead, by the way. God is the one who's going to judge and, and decide the fate of everyone in eternity. Oh, and he's coming soon. He's going to appear with his kingdom. Uh, Timothy, wake up, young man. Wake up, okay? I charge you in the highest possible way. And notice what he charged. I charge you with this massive statement of seriousness. Preach the word. If you do anything, if you do anything at all, do this why highest and final authority it holds the message of life it's the book of books you miss out on sola scriptura you miss out on everything timothy next slide first peter one twenty three. notice this since you've been born again notice what the bible says here not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god see the sufficiency of scripture The Bible's telling us right here, the Bible is what causes us to be born again. We know it's the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, but in combination, the Holy Spirit uses the message of the gospel and the word of God is used to literally causing us to be be brought to new creations, to be born again spiritually. Only one book in the universe can do that. Next slide. 2 Timothy 3. This is our verse today. All scriptures breathed out by God, known as profitable, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of god may be complete. It's our sanctification. It's the word of god that grows us. It's the word of god that sanctifies us, that transforms us into the image of the lord Jesus Christ. No book like this book. Next slide. 2nd Peter 1. You say, well, where does the bible come from? The bible talks about that. Knowing this first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It wasn't man that said, hey, let's get a book and let's hope God blesses it. No, no, no. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's only one book ever written that can claim this truth right here carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God, Sola Scriptura, it's the Bible. Next slide. John 10, 35. Love this. And Scripture cannot be broken. Who said that? Jesus. Indestructible. It cannot be broken. Next slide here, Joshua 1. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what's written in it. What? Then you will make your way prosperous. Loved ones right here, many of us right now, we want to be successful and prosperous. You could not be more prosperous in the best way possible than when you meditate on the word of God day and night. It is, it is just, it's, it's, it's the book that God has written that brings all true blessing as God decides. Okay? This leads us to the next verse I love so much, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, I love the quote. I love the quote that says, the Bible will always rise up to outlive its pallbearers. See what it's saying there? So many, so many generations and centuries, people have predicted the demise of the word of God. The Bible will be done in 100 years. I love the story. I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Voltaire, he hated God's word and he hated, he's an atheist, and he predicted, you know, the next whatever so and so years that the Bible would go and stink. But as it turned out, his house was turned into the, it was owned by the French Bible Society, I believe, as a way of producing Bibles itself. Eh? God has a sense of humor. That's so good, all right? <laughs> That's so good, right? I love it. All these people sell these things. Listen, what has happened? They have died and the word of God carries on. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. The Bible has never had greater distribution in history than it is right now across this world. Never had more in production. It, It will never be overcome. It's just because God wrote a book, that's why. Just the evidence before us is irrefutable and undeniable. Just take heart. Be encouraged. This is really good news. It's exciting. The book that contains the good news. In fact, Let's say this verse together, all right? I think we should, because it just encourages me, and let's be encouraged. Ready? Here we go. Ready? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It cannot be eliminated. cannot be destroyed. That's awesome. I think we have two more verses, I think. Let's see the next one there. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 2, okay? I just want to show you these, how Paul views his own writings, okay? He knows what's going on. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God. Paul knew, somehow he knew, he was writing down what we would now hold the Bible in our hands. Amazing. And the next verse is just like it, 1 Corinthians 14. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord. Case closed, man. No higher or final authority than when God speaks. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Why? Because the Sola Scriptura says it's our highest and final authority. God gets the final word. Everything is judged and measured by Scripture, by Sola Scriptura. There's no book like this book. Part of what I want to do in this series is I want to humble us by stories of perspective. I want us to be humbled as we often feel entitled, we take things for granted, we complain, we whine, we look at our lives, and we're always like, well, let's just just get a few comparables with people in the Reformation and what they went through so we could sit here right now in freedom and be blessed with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to picture on the screen for you, this is a picture of a cross on a road in Oxford, England. And uh, cars will drive on this every day. Bikes will drive and ride by it every day. People walk by and they'll have no idea what it even means. But this cross marks the spot where three reformers burned to death for teaching that God forgives not the deserving, but those who will trust him. On the 16th of October, 1555, two bishops, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, were bound together to a stake, and a fire was lit in the sticks at their feet. As Ridley writhed in agony... Latimer shouted through the flames, like just imagine, he said, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Five months later, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cramner, was burned on the same spot. Under extreme duress, Cramner actually recanted those beliefs that had led Ridley and Latimer to their deaths. But when the day came for his own execution, he renounced his recantation, saying, For as much as my hand offended, writing contrary to my heart, my hand shall first be punished, therefore. And so as the fires were lit, he held out his hand that had signed the recantation, that it might burn first in the fire. Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer were just three of many who died for the message of the Reformation, not the least of which was sola, scriptura let that humble us let it humble us to see people literally giving their lives that we could be here today you know um the reformation exploded into such profound transformation entire countries were transformed as we heard which led to the formation of france and england and beyond and in many ways led to the formation of canada too democracy, democracy itself is argued to come from the principles seen from the Reformation and the values that we hold most dear, the things that our nation treasures and yet doesn't know it. It comes again from the awakening to the principles of true wisdom found in the Word of God and to the glory of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. It's a really exciting series to be into. I pray already that you maybe you're just learning things for the first time. I've been super encouraged myself. I just love to have this perspective. The last thing I want to say to you today is this. There's a great, great... website right now, or you can get a little devotional series for this month. Because it's the 500th anniversary, there's so much happening across the evangelical church. This is on Desiring God. DesiringGod.org slash here we stand. It's a monthly or daily devotional for one month of um, biographies of the Reformation. You can sign up, I signed up yesterday, uh, put your email in, they send you an email each day, and you will get a short story, probably take you four minutes to read maybe, something like that, but each day get a sample of one of the lives that allowed the Reformation to occur by God's grace, and so I think you'll get an email this week if you are on the Harvest email list, and we'll send that to you too, but I just encourage you, like if we're going to be in it, let's be in it. If we're going to do this, let's learn. Um, If we're going to try to get perspective, let's get as much as we can for this month as we remember and honor the power of the Reformation and how much God uses within our lives. And I pray that it will be such an encouragement to you and encouragement to me as we unload the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for perspective and thank you for the humility I feel even now. Thank you for lives literally uh, burned to death alive because they believed in Sola Scriptura, because they believed in Sola Gatia and Sola Fide and Sola Christus and Sola Deo Gloria. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, what a perfect weekend in some ways to start this series too. This is, this is what we're thankful for, Lord. We're thankful for food and homes and family, but most of all, we're thankful for this. You, Jesus, and your message of life. And so I pray you will teach us. I pray you will teach us in mind and that it will impact our hearts. And you will give us such a clear perspective and such a wonderful sense of gratitude. And even as we sing this beautiful little chorus right now, Lord, we will sing it from our hearts and it will be sincere and genuine. We are alive in Jesus Christ and there's no place we would rather be. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.